How many of you in here have a copy of the gift of the working of miracles study questions and answers? If you don't have one, raise your hand if you need one. Brother Jack, can you help me get them out to anyone? Everybody got them? One right here in the front needs one. Let's see, one, one, two over here, maybe three. I made 30, so I know there's enough. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> enough to go around. Let's get those into the hands of the people. There's a few things that we need to discuss about the question and answer page. One of the questions that I had and gave an answer to isn't even a part of the message. It's just something I, I threw in there. No extra charge. No, no bonus money for it or anything. So, If it gets much hotter in here, I'm just going to stop everything and preach on hell. Am I the only one that, uh, that's hot in here today? It is just, oh yeah. All right. I've got another goofy question for the people that are watching on our broadcast today. Nathan, can you see the picture of me? And can you see me? If the curtains are open in the back, this is what it's all about, and the sun is shining very bright, you can't see me at all. And so I wanted to make sure. People like seeing more than an, an outline figure when they're looking at a speaker. They want to guess what we're, I guess what we're looking like. On the gift of the working of miracles study question and answers page, the first question is, after Paul listed the nine gifts of the Spirit, he went on to say, but covet the best gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, generally speaking, which gift of the Spirit would you think is the best gift? Which we talked about this last week. It's the only one we covered. The, the gift that's best, best suits your need at the time. The gift that best suits your need at the time. Now, overall, I will tell you that God revealing a little piece of his knowledge about the future, that's probably one of the most powerful of the gifts. And, and I, I call that standalone the best gift. But the best gift in actuality is the one you need at the point of your need. Amen? The one that you must have at the point of your need. All right? So there's nine of them. They cover everything. Amen? Not to mention that there are other things in the Bible that talk about uh, miracles of healings. Miracles of healings is, is actually different from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever just been praying for a need? And, and you were praying for somebody, and all of a sudden you got a phone call, and you found out they just got healed of cancer. And you just didn't even know. You were just praying, right? You were just praying a prayer of general faith for the person that God would touch need. And next thing you know, you're pleasantly surprised that God touched them and healed them. Well, that's under the classification in the Bible of uh, just uh, miracles of healing. Sometimes God just does that. Isn't that wonderful? And then there's, you know, there's the gifts of the Spirit that are much more specific to the needs. Now, I had someone challenge me on this. I've been waiting for it. They were saying uh, in there, uh, in the teaching that I've been giving, I've been saying that the Holy Spirit gives as He wills, right? So I'm going to explain to you why I say that the Holy Spirit uses you, you don't use Him, even though it says covet the best gifts. Desire the best gifts. Doesn't it sound like it's saying desire the best gifts for yourself? That would be true if 1 Corinthians was written to one person and one person alone. Try to follow me here. It's not written to one person and one person alone. It's written to the whole church. 
And what the Bible's teaching us is that the church as a whole needs to covet or desire the best gifts. And what are the best gifts? The gifts that meet the need the church is facing at the time. So don't get hung up on this. Don't, don't, don't. I, I knew a pastor, and, and I trusted this guy because him and his wife not only were being used by the gifts of the Spirit of God, but man, they just seemed to be like a hand in a glove with it. You know, it was beautiful. And I remember a young girl coming to the pastor and asking him, will you pray for me? for healing for a certain need she had in her body and he took her by the hands looked her in the eye and said sister I'm going to tell you right now he said I need you to go find my wife and have her pray for you because it seems that the Holy Ghost uses my wife more in that area in the gifts than he does me let's cut to the chase and send you to her and let her lay hands on you and pray for you. And let's see what God does. What I like about that is the man wasn't afraid to say, you know, well, I, I, he, was, he knew what to say. The right thing, deflect. Don't look to me for this. This isn't the gift that God, God uses me in this gift a lot. So you, you might be mistaken enough to say that, that that's the gift that God gave me. That's not exactly scripturally sound. And in my opinion, it's not even safe. It's safer to say this is the gift that God uses me in most of the time. I know what they are for me. I know what they are. I just don't talk about it a lot. I don't, I don't need to talk about it a lot. Amen? You don't need to talk about it a lot. As a matter of fact, I've found that if people that are used by the gifts of the Spirit that talk about it a lot, other people will begin to depend more on them for them to get their needs met, then for them to do what it takes to get with the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost use them and let the Holy Ghost teach them and let the Holy Ghost bring them into their ministry because everybody's got one. Everybody's got something. God will use you in something. You should be looking for it. You should be in that, in that position to receive and be used by God. Amen? But you will never possess the gifts of the Spirit of God. You will not possess them. They do not become yours. There will be gifts that the Holy Ghost uses you in more regularly than others. All right? Get used to it. Why in the world? Why in the world? Here's another thing. I, man, I just love it when the Holy Ghost just begins to, you know, to say things. Listen to this. In my youth, and thank God, thank God for my age. I'm going to stand up here and tell you, thank you, Lord, for letting me get to the age I'm at. Because when I was young, God would use me in a gift or two once in a while. But I always was looking at what God was doing through others. You hear what I'm saying? And oh, oh, I like that. Man, that's really cool. Well, you know what? Use the ministry that God gives you and let them use the ministry God gives them. And you quit trying to fill other people's shoes. Get comfortable in your own before you start coveting others' shoes. Amen? All right? Be open to whatever mantle God wants to lay on you. Amen? Whatever gift or gifts that God wants to use you in and flow in it. Amen? Don't get puffed up. That's the most dangerous thing you can do because it puts you in a position to lie to the Holy Ghost. Don't lie to the Holy Ghost. We'll talk more about that later. 
Number two, at some time or another, those who are called to the five-fold ministry, pay attention to this. I've been mentioning the five-fold ministry and how in the last days God's going to really restore the five-fold ministry to the church in this world, all right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We already got pastors and teachers, and we got some evangelists. Amen? Now, this is the question that, that, that really wasn't even, wasn't even covered in the message today, so I'm, I'm glad I got it here. At some time or another, those who are called to the five-fold ministry should be equipped, that's what I say, with certain gifts of the Spirit for what purpose? So that they can stand in the office in which they are called. How many times have you heard me say that a prophet shouldn't have to hang a sign on himself saying, I'm a banana tree? You should be able to see the bananas. The bananas should speak for themselves. You shouldn't have to hang a shingle on your office door that says, prophet so-and-so. Other people should recognize that that person is a prophet. And how will they recognize it? It's because of the number of the gifts of the Spirit of God that rest on that person. And I'm telling you, I've just seen this in my life. You can take it and eat this or you can spit it out. Walk away from it. I don't care. But what I have observed in my 60-something plus years, and that's how I'm going to say it, 60-something plus, you, you know, can never know the math on that. Anyway, what, what happens is that the five-fold ministries are recognized by the gifts of the Spirit of God that operate in them. Apostles were first. Apostles were first. They were first ones mentioned in the five-fold ministry gifts. So what does that mean? I've told you this before. Pay attention to the list that you're given in the Bible because the most important one generally is listed first. What do we know about the apostles? Just read the Bible. You look at the apostles, the guys that walked with Jesus, and all of the gifts of the Spirit operated in their lives. That was the mark of an apostle. All right? And what were prophets really known for? It's one of the reasons why we have this, um, the definition a little twirled around today. But what were prophets mostly known for? Talking about the future. So there were less gifts operational most of the time in prophets' lives compared to apostles. You could see all nine of the gifts of the, of the Spirit uh, at one time or another in apostles' life. I've never seen anybody but Jesus that all of them operated on on a regular basis. Well, he was Jesus. That was his advantage he had, right? But, but he operated in them to set an example for us. Amen? And even challenged us to say greater things will we do than he did. And, and why is it not happening? Because the people of God are not, they're not believing. They're not putting themselves in a place to be used that way. Look, I tell you what, I, as I get older, I want less of me and more of God and his things. I want more of his furniture in the house than my own furniture, right? And that to know that I know that I know that no matter what God wants to do through me as a vessel, it, it really doesn't mean, it, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, I, I'm a more special rat than a gutter rat. Uh, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm, I'm just, I just want to be a donkey in the kingdom of God that he can say anything he wants through. Do you understand what I'm saying? When God spoke by his power through that donkey in the Old Testament, was the donkey any less a donkey when he stopped talking? It didn't turn the donkey into an angel. It didn't turn the donkey into anything. He was a donkey, right? 
God, I don't care. Use me the way you will and then keep me in the frame of heart that you want me. And that's what we all, and, and it's all in preparation for what God wants to do in the church, in the body of Christ in the last days. Let's just get ready. Let's get ready. Amen? So, uh, so the, the five-fold ministry gifts, so if you get apostles, a lot of the gifts, apostles or prophets, less of the gifts. An evangelist is the one that I knew that, that, I, that more of the gifts of the Spirit I saw operate in his life than anybody else I ever met. So I haven't known too many apostles or true prophets. All right? I haven't known too many of them. But I've known some evangelists. All right? All right. Let's see. We want to define the term miracle. This becomes very important for the message today. Definition of a miracle is a supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature. A supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature, right? Someone gets uh, diagnosed with cancer and they find out it's stage four, stage five. How many of you know that's pretty serious? That's pretty critical, right? And someone lays hands on them or a whole bunch of people begin to pray for them and all of a sudden they wake up the next day, go in for more tests and treatment and find out they got no cancer. Amen? That, that is a divine intervention by God in the normal course of things, the normal course of nature, right? You know, my grandmother went in for surgery for cancer after being knocked down by God the night before. She laid on the floor. She prayed a little Southern Baptist woman who did not believe in those things, right? She was like 86 pounds, and she was shorter than Miss Ruthie. Don't tell her I mentioned that. I'm just thinking that, all right? <laughs> all right? But my, my grandmother, boom, hit the floor. I'm, I'm standing right there. She hit the floor. There wasn't no catcher there or nothing, you know? And her hands went up, and she was praying. That's all I know. That evangelist, I was standing next to him when he laid hands on my grandmother and knocked her down, right? Well, we scooped her up 45 minutes later, took her home, put her to bed, got her up next morning, took her to the hospital. You know the story. She went in there four hours later, we took her home. They couldn't operate on her because there was nothing to operate on. Didn't have cancer. That's a miracle. Amen? That's a miracle. A supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature. Number four, give two Old Testament examples of the working of miracles, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But you know where they really start to show up in the Old Testament? They start to show up in the Old Testament when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, from bondage in Egypt. Notice that God didn't just do the things that he did to Egypt without either Moses or Aaron or both of them taking part in it. There was something God ordered them to do, throw down the rod. And, and, and that's the working of a miracle. They had a part in it. Listen to that very carefully because I'm telling you there's obedience involved in the working of miracles. If the person that God speaks to doesn't obey God, the working of miracles, that, that's why you have a humble part in it. But it's obedience. It, and listen, you know, people have told me, well, I don't know. Well, maybe I miss God. Well, what did God say? Well, I think he wanted me to do such and so. I say, forget it. You don't have to wonder whether God told you to do something or not. It's not guesswork. It's you obeying something God told you to do. But even Moses said, well, I don't speak eloquently. I don't, you know, I don't do this. I don't do that. So God mercifully got Aaron involved. 
And between Moses and Aaron, they obeyed God and the working of miracles took place over and over and over again until the children of Israel were delivered by a mighty hand. Amen? Okay. So that's one. Exodus chapter 7 through 14. Of the gift of the working of miracles and the delivery of the children of Israel. And then in 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 8 through 16. We have the story of Elijah and the widow being fed from her cruise of oil. That remained full and provided for her and the prophet. But you go read that story. He told her what to do. She did it and then God came through. Right? So that was the working of a miracle. That was involvement with the prophet and her. Wasn't like uh, Daniel walking off in the lion's den and laying down and going to sleep. He didn't have anything to do but to lay down and go to sleep. How many of you know that Daniel was a special guy? But trust me when I tell you this. He wasn't that special. But that faith that God, that special faith that rose up on the inside of him, that's what is the same for Daniel and for us. That same special faith can be gifted by the Holy Ghost within you to rise up within you to sleep through the storm. Amen? To use a lion for a pillow. You know? It doesn't say that he snuck up in the dark corner and, and stood there all night long trembling. No, he laid down and went to sleep. And I'm telling you, Daniel was special. I could point out all the things. He had a prayer regimen. He had a study regimen. He, he did things. He obeyed God. He did all of those special things. He did all of those good things. And in that light, he was special. But I don't care who you are. To walk off into a den of lions and lay down and go to sleep, that is special faith. Amen? That's the gift of faith from the Holy Ghost. And what have I told you over and over again? Start in the Old Testament looking for if you want to know what the gifts of the Spirit of God, they manifested in the Old Testament. They just didn't know what to call them. All right? So, what's the next one? Oh, man, this is good. Give two New Testament examples of the working of miracles, and we'll talk more about these today. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. Amen? Now, I'm, I'm not going to joke with you. I'm going to tell you this is a truth. A highly respected man that uh, I heard once. I, I'm embarrassed to say this. I really am embarrassed. You're going to think I'm lying about it, but I'm not. His explanation for the feeding of the 5,000 was that the loaves of bread were a lot bigger back then. So what we're supposed to believe is that one little boy's lunch that his mama packed for him for lunch that day had loaves of bread in it so big <laughs> that they could feed 5,000 people with them. It wasn't big loaves of bread. It was big Jesus, amen, and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. What did, what did Jesus do? He prayed, and then he told them what to do. Can you imagine one of the apostles or the disciples, because they weren't apostles then. You get my drift? They were, they were disciples. They were apostles in training. Amen. Uh, when Jesus said, now, now break the bread. and Have them set in 50s. What if they, I'm not having them set anywhere. That, uh, this is embarrassing. I'm not, understand what I'm saying? They had to obey. So sometimes there's more than one gift of the Spirit involved. Amen. But there was a working, an action involved, an obedience to God. Amen. And the, this working of a miracle was done and all of these people were fed. Amen? 
And one of them says, besides, there were 5,000 men besides women and children. Look around you today and think how many children are in the church, how many women are in the church, compared to how many men are in this church. And 5,000 of those people were men. Do you think the women and the children, there were less of them there than the men? Never has been the case in all the history of mankind. The women and the children following God far outnumbered the men most of the time. Not all of the time. Don't walk out here and say, Brother Nan said it's always been. A, no, most of the time, though, I'm right about it, right? So can you imagine if there were twice as many women and children there as there were men, you've got over 15,000 people. That's easy math, right? Easy math. So, that working of that miracle, they obeyed Jesus and broke the bread and distributed the fish and broke it. And at the end, they took up the leftovers that far exceeded what the little boy brought in his basket for the day. Can you imagine what it was like when he went home and told his mama about what that lunch did that she packed for him? I, I like that. Number five, give two New Testament examples of the working of miracles. In John chapter 6, verse 5 through 14, Jesus fed the 5,000. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, um, listen to this. The deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. There was a working of miracles involved in that. Wasn't there dropping dead an interruption in the, the course of nature? You think when they got up this morning, that morning they thought they dropped dead in church? We're going to talk about that. Uh, you don't have a Young's Analytical Concordance in front of you, but I want you to know this. What the Greek word for miracles is in 1 Corinthians 12.10, it's dunamis or dynamite. It also means acts of power. We're going to talk about that a little later on. And then the working of miracles could also be called, because of Young's analytical, uh, you, you, you need to read this, but the working of miracles could also be called the working of impelling, staggering wonders or astonishments or the outworkings of explosions of the almightiness and acts of powers. That's a lot. That's wordy, isn't it? Man. How does the dictionary define covet? To desire. As a body, we are supposed to desire the best gifts. Amen? Well, once again, before we dive off into this, let me just mention to you that um, one of those meetings where that evangelist was, uh, there was a lady. I mean, we were there a month, every night for a month, except Saturday nights. We didn't meet on Saturday nights. Six nights a week, there was over a 1,000 of us. And um, there was a lady that brought a lawn chair, and she was crippled. We knew her. She was crippled. Crippled for a long time. She'd lay in that lounge chair off to our right. Well, one night, it just became her turn or something. I don't know how to explain it. But the evangelist went over there, grabbed her by the hand, and prayed for her, told her in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And she did not do it. She rose and ran. How many of you know there's a difference between running and walking? And then she started jumping, then she started shouting, and, you know, can you imagine what it was like in that tent that night? Look, I, I say controversial things sometimes. It's not, it's not a goal. Oh, I just want to be controversial. I, I, I say things, I'm trying to move us into a certain perspective. And here's where I want to move us, all right? I want to move us. Uh, I can tell you that when I don't do my job right, and um, I show up here, 
And I'm not as prepared as I should be. I, I don't like that, and I don't see myself doing that often. But, but let's just face it. Let's just face it. I can do it. You know I've done it before. Um, and you can feel it. You know where you can feel it? Not in your spirit. You can feel it in your bottom. You feel it where you're sitting. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I preach long, and, and there's no anointing, and God's not doing anything, God's not saying anything, gets old fast, don't it? Right? I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not even throwing rocks at myself. I'm just telling you I can miss it. Right? Now look. And then, and then you know, the specialist out there, and I'm not criticizing this. It's the truth. After about 20 minutes, people start getting a little tired, and they, a little fidgety, and they're starting to shift from one side to the other a little bit, you know, because it gets uncomfortable. You know what? I'm just going to free will here for a minute, all right? Listen to me. You know, the, in the New Testament, in Acts, you know, the early church, man, it busted loose under the Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Ghost was just moving, right? Now, I know they didn't have movie theaters. They didn't have restaurants. They didn't have, you know, sunny lakeside villas or RV camps or parks. They didn't have any of those things. So you would think that, well, no wonder they'd had church all day long. But they had church all day long, right? You know, when Ananias was confronted by Peter, it was initially off of a word of, of knowledge. Do you understand that? The Holy Spirit told Peter, this man lied to me. This man told me, he said to you, but he's he lying to me. I know, the Holy Ghost knows. Peter knew by the Holy Ghost that Ananias had lied about selling that piece of property and bringing all the money. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. And this is what we're going to do, and then we're going to stop. We're going to have communion. But you need to think about this. In, in the early church, all of the people, it doesn't say that God told these people to do it, but they started selling everything, and they brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet. Are you familiar with the story? It doesn't say anywhere that God told them to do it. And I think that's important enough that if God had told them to do it, we should know about it, and then, you know, maybe we need to think about that. But no, 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 listen to me. It made sense to me when I looked back at the history because it was only going to be a few short years where none of that stuff was going to be theirs anyway because Jerusalem was going to be conquered and everything was going to be taken from them. And in the meantime of the two or three short years between the time they laid it at the apostles' feet, the money was used for God's work. It was not wasted and it was not stolen. So it was a good thing, wasn't it, that they were doing. But, but Peter confronted Ananias, did you sell the land for such and such a price? And he said, yes. And so basically, you haven't lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Ghost. And the words he spoke to him, boom, Peter was involved. Man dropped dead, right? Now, I heard a guy preaching on this one day, and it stuck with me like glue. When he said these words, about a half an hour later, uh, Sapphira came in. Now, listen to me carefully. It struck me, half an hour later, was the church service over? No. And it wasn't a half hour later. How many of you know how much longer it was? And church was still going. It says in the Word of God, three hours later later there's and it's important how many of you know that the bible doesn't mention things that aren't important 
The Bible mentions things for a reason. Three hours later, Sapphira shows up. Church still going on. Now, I thought to myself, well, you know, they didn't have a lot else to do in those. No, that's not it. I've pastored churches where the Holy Ghost was moving. And get used to what I'm saying here because God's told me in here. He's going to do this here. If you let him, he'll do it here. I don't care if there's an amusement park across the road where they're giving money away. If the Holy Ghost is moving, you can't beat people and keep them out of the church. I'm just telling you. Don't get freaked out by this, but I remember the night that that woman I told you about that, that we prayed for, uh, for six months, and she was crippled, and she was dying, and, all, and God healed her. It was 10 o'clock at night at the end of a prayer meeting out in a parking lot. She was the last one to leave, and you know the story of how God healed her. Just jerked her up off the ground. She landed on her feet and went to dancing and praising God, and she was on her way to being with Jesus. Until the Holy Ghost struck her. And I say, I use these words for lack of no better way of saying it. Like a bolt of lightning. And then I was nuts enough to say, Lord, why couldn't you do that in front of a packed out house? Why? Because I was stupid. Do you understand what I'm saying? It didn't matter in the end that God healed her out in a parking lot with nobody there to witness it but me. Basically. And uh, it didn't matter. Everybody came to the church to see this woman that they'd been praying for for six months that came in and out of the church in a wheelchair, and now she's walking around like she was never sick. I'm telling you, it may not be the best reason to, to get people to come to church, but it's a good one. It's not a bad one. Understand me? Understand? Get them here. Let the Holy Ghost deal with them. Get them saved, and then start discipling. Amen? And let God build a church. We're responsible for doing a lot of things. And, and, and we need to get ready for doing those things and let the Holy Spirit build the church. Amen? Because when the Holy Spirit begins to move, it doesn't matter what the weather's like in Alaska. People are going to want to come. You know, that church I told you about, and I'm not living in the past. Matter of fact, as a matter of fact, God's told me that the things he's done in my life in the past are nothing. Compared to what he's going to do. I say okay father. Okay. But I've been in. That means I was in a church that would comfortably seat 600. We had 800 packed in the building. And we had another 400 people outside. Looking through the windows. Trying to keep an eye. On what God was doing inside. And people were being saved. They were being set free. From bondage. They were being filled with the Holy Ghost. They were being healed. Uh, demons were being cast out of people. You know. How many know the demons will come to church? They'll come to church. Amen. But they should not have feel so welcome. Amen. To remain. That's all I'm saying. And so, um, I'm, and I'm saying that, it, and this church was not out on the main drag. A lot of people, they get ready to buy a church building. They want property that's out there on the main drive, right? And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, right? But literally, this church was on the back side of the railroad tracks. You had to come looking for it on purpose, right? 
and you came early or you weren't going to get a seat. All right? And, and you know what? I, I say, I, I don't want to over-talk that. I'm not lying to you, number one. I'm not exaggerating. But God wants to do a new thing. And the new things that God does, they far surpass the old things. God doesn't do new things that don't stand out over the old things. Amen? So you got to get ready for that. Amen? Well, I tell you, that's plenty for one day. How many of you would be all right with us picking up next week where we left off today? We can do that, can't we? All right. Well, thank you. And thank you for those who joined us online. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Um.